The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning and Merry Christmas Church family. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. We're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter number two for our text reading here in just a moment. Philippians chapter number two. And as you find your place in your Bible, uh, how many of you have noticed as human beings, we love to be in control. How many of you have noticed that just in your own experience? Just love to be in control. And it's almost as if it's been hardwired into our DNA. I know for me, there's just this propensity to want to control this and want to control that. But uh, have you ever had an experience where you felt like things were completely out of your control? You ever been there before? I mean, you just felt like, man, everything's out of control at this particular particular moment. I know I've been through a few situations uh, where that was my personal experience, and, and some of them, honestly, uh, are downright uh, humorous. You know, how many of you ever had something, and it was like so crazy, it was so out of control, like it lit- all you can do is just laugh at the situation because it's just that bizarre. You ever been through something like that? I, I remember for me on one particular occasion, I had just became the pastor here at the church. This is over 10 years ago or so, and we were meeting at a little chapel down in southwest Fresno, and and as I had become the pastor, I I had this desire to kind of institute some new things, maybe some traditions, and one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to start a tradition with our church family where we gathered together as a church family on Christmas Eve and uh, just kind of make some church memories together. It was kind of an idea that I had, and and so I remember just uh, months before, beginning to plan different parts of, of the service, and I was so neat. I thought, well, you know, we're going to get some candles, and uh, everybody can have candles, you know, and, and we'll have a special time, and then we had uh, the choir learn some Christmas carols that they could sing while holding these Christmas candles, and, and I was going to prepare a, a Christmas gospel message, and, and so I en- encouraged our church family to invite people out who were unbelievers, who didn't know Christ, and I had all these really high expectations for our very first Christmas Eve service, and I was excited, but I'll be honest, I was a little bit nervous. How many of you have been in a situation where you're, you're trying to do something new, but you're a little bit tentative? I don't know if this is going to go over, and what if it doesn't go just right? And so I was a little bit nervous, and, and to be quite honest, if I, if I were to be transparent with you, I was maybe just a little bit stressed out about the whole ordeal, because it was something new. I wanted everybody to like it. I wanted everybody to be like, oh, pastor, that was the greatest idea you ever came up with, and so I was kind of, I kind of just had my hopes anchored on everything going just just perfectly. How many of you, if you were to be honest, you've had situations where, where you just wanted everything to go just right. You wanted no hiccups. You wanted nothing to go wrong. You just wanted everything to go smoothly and everybody to have a great time. And so that was where I was at. And, and some of you who have known me for a long time, you know that, that I, I, can, I can be a little high strung sometimes. In fact, I can get a little bit OCD about things. And if you've known me very long, uh, you know that's something I, I struggle with a little bit. And I will say on that particular day, it, it was a little bit more so. I was just, I had such high expectations. I wanted everything to be perfect. And so we had practiced the Christmas carols. We had ordered the little Christmas candles. We had everything squared away, practiced. We had invited folks to come. And that night finally came. And I was just, I was just, man, 
man, I was a wreck. I was so nervous. I just wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted everything to go just right. And uh, the choir was waiting on a side room. In a moment, we were lighting their candles, and, and we were going to come out, and the choir was going to sing some Christmas carols for those who had arrived. And I'm looking at my watch, and we're getting closer to the time where the Christmas Eve service was going to start. And I noticed visitors were coming in and some guests. And so I got kind of excited about that because we had some people who had never been to the church before. And I, I was a little pumped. I was excited about that. And we were getting closer and closer. And I noticed that the individual who was supposed to play the piano for this whole service hadn't arrived. And it was like two minutes till it was supposed to start. And then one minute till it was supposed to start. And it was time to start. And there was nobody there to play the piano, like at all. And my heart just sank. You know, I wanted everything to go perfect. I wanted everything to go smoothly. And now I'm running around frantically because like we, we have to have, we had been practicing for months to sing these songs and the choir needed a piano player to keep them all on key. And, and so I didn't know what to do. I, I remember going out and looking around and I don't know if you remember this, Sarah, Miss Minerva, Pastor Nick's wife. Uh, I remember I went over to Sarah's sister who was visiting that day. I had grown up with their family. I knew all of Sarah's siblings really well. And uh, I had known their family as being very musical. Uh, some of you who know Sarah's family, you just know they're all so musical. They all play different instruments. And I looked out at that Christmas Eve and I saw that her sister Amber had come to the service to visit. And I made a beeline over for Amber. And I said, Amber, I don't know what happened. We don't have a pianist. I said, you're going to have to play the piano. And she looked up at me. Her eyes got bit really big. And she's like, I don't play the piano. I was like, I understand. People say that, you know, I don't play the piano. I was like, I know you, your family. You guys play the piano. I seriously, I can't. I don't have time to argue about this. I don't have time. I was like, you got to get up. You've got to play the piano. <laughs> she runs over to the piano. I run over. I said, okay, we're set. I come to the front row, the choir comes out with all the, their little candles and they're ready to go. And, and, and those of you who've been over to that building, it was a really small little platform. And so their whole choir is all crunched up there. They've got their candles. They've got all their music that they're trying to flip through. And all of a sudden the lights go down. Everything's dark except for the candles. It looks so beautiful. It was so nice. And all of a sudden the piano began to play. I was like, oh no, maybe I've made a mistake. And poor Amber, I found this out later. She is the one sibling that does not play an instrument. <laughs> she had taken a year lesson and she kind of could work. And I remember sitting there and my heart just began to sink because our choir was doing its best, trying to sing all the right notes. Amber's over here. And not only does she not really play the piano, but when all the lights went down, we hadn't thought through how, how would the piano player see the notes. It was all dark. She didn't play anyways. It was completely dark. And she's just doing the best she can to try to play these notes Honestly, if I were to be transparent, I don't know if she was playing the same song as the choir was singing. It was just a mess. Everybody's like, what is going on? This is a complete, and I'm just, I'm just mortified. I'm in the front row, and I'm sure in my head it was way worse than it was actually was, but she's over there hitting some keys. The choir, half of them are off key because the, the piano's not playing the right note. My heart's just sinking, you know, and, and as if nothing else could any worse. All of a sudden, one of the dear little ladies, and she, she doesn't attend her church anymore. She's a sweet little, sweet little lady. She somehow, she got into this coughing fit. H have you ever been in a situation where you had a cough and you just couldn't stop coughing? And she's over here and we're singing whatever song they're trying to sing. The piano, Amber's playing, I don't know who, what over there. And all of a sudden, this dear little lady, she starts coughing a little bit at first. <coughs> and singing a little bit more. <coughs> And now she's just, I'm now, it's like you can hear, the, it's like she had her own little solo in coughing going on. 
she's coughing all over the place. And I'm thinking to myself, I just wish she would just get off the stage at this point. You know, that we had a little door right off the stage. Just go, find the room, have a little coughing fit. You can come back when you're done. And so she does. I was so relieved. She ran off the stage. If you know the other building, the little property, there was a door with a little banister right next to the door. But instead of going out of the door, she leaned down behind that little banister and proceeded to just cough out a lung. Ugh, ugh, ugh. And their piano's playing over here. Choir's singing, you know what? And I'm looking around at all our guests and our visitors and their eyes are just like, what in the world is going on? I'm shrinking down into my seat a little bit when all of a sudden, and you know who you are because you're in this room, but I won't call you out. I begin to see smoke come from the platform. I'm not joking. Smoke is kind of billowing up here. And I look over and one of our teenagers in the process of somehow trying to flip all this different choir music and for the first time holding a candle, wax had slipped down onto the page and now the paper's trying to smolder and trying to, like it's about to catch on fire. And I'm thinking to myself, as if nothing else could go wrong, we are now about to have a fire on the stage. Teenagers blowing on it, (laughs) trying to put this thing out. Of course, it's making it bigger. I'm like, this is horrible. Back in those days, the ladies used to wear their hair real big with all of this hairspray. You know what I'm talking about? The only thought I had is here, this guy's in the back trying to kind of put out all this little smoke. I thought for sure at that moment it was going to catch fire on one of that lady's hairs and just... <laughs> I'm like, this... And I, I just, I wanted the service to end. It was like, I, pastors have nightmares and these are the things that pastors' nightmares are made of right here. I remember getting up, and because it was a Christmas candlelight service, I didn't have notes, and I, I thought, I'm going to use an iPad, you know, that way I can see, it'll be bright. And I, it was the first time I had ever done it. I guess you're supposed to push certain buttons on the iPad so it doesn't just automatically turn off on you. Well, I was using somebody else's, it turned off, and I didn't know how to get it back on. So everything's going on, and now I don't even have a sermon to preach. And I'm up there. All I knew to do was just give the gospel, tell people, hey, Jesus is awesome. (laughs) Give your life to him. And I remember sitting down just thinking, that was a complete disaster. Nobody in our church is ever going to want to come to a Christmas Eve candlelight service again. In fact, you guys don't know this, but if you don't show up tomorrow night, in my heart, I'm going to think it's because it went wrong 10 years ago, and that's why nobody wants to come. I remember just sitting there. You know what the craziest thing? I get to the end of that service, bowed our heads. And kind of almost reluctantly, hey, if there's anybody here who wants to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know, raise your hand, I would love to. I mean, would you believe it? One of the guests raised their hand and said, I want to. And I kind of, I was like, what? You do? <laughs> After all that? And then, you know, it reminded me of something. Even when everything seems to be out of our control, Jesus is always in control. He's always in control. Today I want to speak on this subject the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. The eternal reign of Jesus Christ. Throughout the month of December, we've been studying the big, overarching, grand story of the Christmas season. In our December series, we've simply entitled The Story of Christmas. 
Most of us who have been in church for a while, when we think about the story of Christmas, we, we tend to think about Jesus in a manger, in that little stable. We tend to think about shepherds coming. We tend to think about the wise men that brought the gifts. And, and we tend to focus on, on that little part of the Christmas story. But, but those of us who have been in church a while, we realize that this, this story of a coming Messiah is much bigger and it's much grander than just what took place in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And, and so we saw that the Messiah, this one that would come, he was going to be a promised king that was going to come to this world and literally be the savior of all of humanity. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at act one of this grand story where we studied the prophecies of the coming Messiah. If you were here a few weeks ago, you remember that. And we went through the scriptures and looked at all of these prophecies, these promises that were given in the Old Testament scriptures about this coming Messiah. And then the next week, we looked at act two of this grand story where we studied the birth of the Messiah. And we're, we're familiar with that, many of us. The next week, we looked at act three of this grand story where we studied the death of the Messiah. And today... In the final message in this sermon series, we're looking at act four of this grand story of Christmas with a message that we're simply entitling, The Eternal Reign of the Messiah. You see, we believe as Christians that the baby lying in a manger came to be a king who would sit on a throne. That baby that was born 2,000 years ago was not just a good teacher. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a man. He was the God-man that came not just to be a baby in a manger, but he came ultimately to be a king who would reign on his throne forever and ever. And that is what we're going to study this morning. Uh, on your way in, you should have received a service program that I hope you'll use as we go through our Bible study this morning. We're going to take a passage from Philippians 2. We're going to unpack it and just try to help each and every one of us understand who this King Jesus really was. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for being here today for our Christmas weekend services. We're so glad to have you. Uh, inside that program, there's a little connection card. I hope at some point you'll fill that out. Uh, you'll have an opportunity to turn that in either here or our welcome tent. We have a gift we'd love to give you, and uh, I hope that you'll uh, avail yourself to, to doing that. But for those of you who are physically able, can, can we stand at this time as we read from our text? Philippians chapter number 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse number five. I know sometimes during our scripture reading, we can kind of drift and allow our minds to drift. I want you to focus on what the scripture is telling us here in these verses. The scriptures say in Philippians chapter number two, beginning in verse five, it says, let this mind be in you, notice this, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay. Everything we're about to read in just a moment is referring to the person of Jesus Christ. Notice verse number six. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Notice this, this is key. And Jesus, God, the God-man, was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross, verse 9. 
Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today I want to speak on this subject, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. He is King. He is Lord. And we're going to study that here just a little bit this morning. Shall we have a word of prayer? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have a time each year where our minds and our hearts can focus on the fact that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to be our personal Lord and Savior. And while there are traditions that we're involved in and presents that we will give and memories that will be made and food that we'll enjoy eating, I pray that we will not forget what this big story is ultimately about, that you became a man, you lived among us, you died on a cross to take all the punishment of our sin upon yourself, you were buried, rose from the dead, to be King of kings and Lord of lords over our lives and over all humanity. I pray that we would be a people who would regularly focus on this grand reality. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to start our Bible study this morning looking at verses number 6, verses number 7, and verses number 8. Notice what it says here. It says, Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God. That is, because Jesus was the God-man, there was nothing in him that thought, oh, I don't deserve the right to be God. Notice the next verse in verse 8. The Bible says, he took upon him the form of a servant. This God was made in the likeness of men. Let that sink in for a moment. God, the creator of all that there is and the sustainer of life as we know it. The God who literally holds this world in his hand. The God that spoke this world into its existence. The one that holds the universe together with his word. That God became a man. And not just any man, he became a helpless baby. And they called him Jesus. This is what the scriptures and, and many other scriptures are, are, are teaching us. And, and that is this, that God became a man. Uh, there's a big fancy theological word that I learned when I was in seminary used to describe this concept that I'm trying to articulate this morning. Uh, the word that often gets used is the word incarnation. Incarnation. You say, what does that word incarnation mean? It means this, it's the embodiment of a deity or spirit in some earthly form. That's what incarnation means. When the word incarnation is capitalized, it is speaking of the union of divinity with humanity in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So when we see the word incarnation, it is, it is describing this incredible concept that God became a man incarnation which brings us to the first truth presented in the passage that we just read verses six verses seven and verses number eight and that is this the incarnation of the messiah if you're taking notes jot it down the incarnation of the messiah this is not the only passage that teaches incarnation 
It is not the only passage that teaches God became man. Let me give you some more. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 1, verse 23. The scriptures say, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. That's interesting. A virgin shall be with child. She shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. There was something about this one who would be born to this virgin where people would describe him as Emmanuel. That's an interesting term to use for this Jesus. Why would they call him and why would there would be those who would label him Emmanuel? Because of what the word Emmanuel means. What does it mean? It tells us in this verse. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with You see, when Jesus walked this earth, the scriptures tell us that it was not merely a good man. It was not simply a moral teacher. The scriptures would say that the Jesus that walked among us was indeed the God-man, incarnate deity, God put on flesh. God became human. And that is ultimately what the Christmas story is all about. It's more than just a baby who was born 2,000 years ago that some shepherds and wise men visited. The big overarching story of Christmas is that God became man. Colossians chapter number 2 verse 9 speaks of another passage of this idea of incarnation. The Bible says, for in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That is to say, everything that God was, everything that God is, and everything that God would be was represented in the person of Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift. (laughs) Let that sink in for a moment. God offered humanity a present, a gift. And the present that he offered humanity was his very own presence. That's incredible. That's a pretty awesome present. That's a pretty awesome gift. How many of you enjoy getting awesome presents. How many, how many of you think you have a pretty awesome present sitting under a tree at home somewhere, and you're like pretty sure you got some pretty awesome presents? Now, let's flip this over for a while. How many of you, you don't have to tattle on anybody, how many of you have actually at some point in your life gotten a pretty terrible gift? Anybody ever gotten a terrible gift before? You know, you don't have to, you don't have to snitch on anybody. Uh, I see that over there, all right? He's poking dad. I got a terrible gift before. No, we've all had times where we've gotten just a, a, a terrible gift. I, during Christmas season, I sometimes we'll go to different stores doing some Christmas shopping. How many of you guys have ever been to either like a Marshalls or maybe a TJ Maxx or maybe a Ross or something? And I've noticed during Christmas time, there's always this particular table that gets set up in the men's section, all right? It's this table, and I don't know how else to describe it, but it's a huge table of absolutely terrible Christmas gifts. They're just awful. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's all, it, it gets set up twice a year. It gets set up every Christmas, and it gets set up every Father's Day. And I don't know who out there thinks any dad in the universe wants anything on that table, but apparently some marketer out there thinks, hey, we can trick moms or kids into buying this junk for their dads, you know? You know what I'm talking about, all right? How many of you, how many of you be honest, you've seen this table before, you know? 
man, you go by this table, and I, I don't know what it is, you know? Like, what dad in the universe wants a Santa hat with two cup holders on the side and a straw going down into its mouth, you know? I think we got a picture of this one. I don't, I don't want a dad in the universe who's like, man, I didn't know I wanted a Santa hat with soda cans on the side, but apparently I do. I hope somebody gets one for me. You know, it's not, it's not dad in the universe who, who wants something like that. But you know what? How many sad fathers have woken up on Christmas morning only to unwrap a gift and end up with that, you know? It's pathetic. It's awful. Or I saw this one. This one's a little interesting to me, guys. It's, it's called the eye arm forearm mount. There's not a human being on the planet who wants an eye arm, forearm mount. No, but who wants, who wants that? How many of you dads were like, oh man, that was on my Christmas list, you know? Like there's no dad who is in such a hurry. He lives such a type A life that somehow, you know, you can go back to the picture, I want you to see this real quick. There's no dad in the universe who's like so busy and he's just like so in a rush. He's got a phone in one hand, a cup in the other, and he's like, man, wherever am I going to put my plate of Caesar salad? You see that at the bottom corner? It's a plate of Caesar salad. I don't know, I don't know this person. I'm like running, I'm so, man, this guy, so busy. He's like, you know what? I have so many remote controls. I just wish they were always strapped to my body permanently. <laughs> Where's the product that'll do that? But I'm sad to say, there will probably be hundreds of fathers who will wake up on Tuesday morning, and that's what they will receive. And I pity those men. <laughs> terrible, terrible gifts, all right? Can I say this? If any of you kids bought any of these things for your father, go home and burn it, all right? Go get them a proper gift. We've all had terrible gifts at points in our lives. But can I say this? God's presence. His willingness to come and walk among us. God's presence is the greatest present ever gifted to humanity. Because when God gave his son to the world, he didn't just give us a person he gave us the embodiment of all that is good and all that is righteous and all that is holy. You see, in Christ is all love and in Christ is all peace and in Christ is all hope. And to experience the presence of Christ is to experience the presence of hope and to experience the presence of Jesus is to experience the presence of love and to experience the presence of Messiah is to experience the presence of peace. There is no peace apart from Christ. There is no love apart from Christ. There is no hope apart from Christ. To experience this hope, to experience this love, to experience this peace is to experience God. And to experience God is to experience those things that are the abundant life. And so we say the greatest present ever gifted to humanity was the present of his presence. What an incredible gift. And, and it's not just that God came. But I want you to let this sink in for a moment. If you were the only human being on the planet, he would have come for you. This is how valuable you are to your creator. This is how important you are to the one 
who designed you, created you, and gave you life. You are so valuable, you are so important, and you are so loved by God that he was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come and pursue your heart. You're important to God. You are loved, and even when it feels like everybody around you has abandoned you or betrayed you or nobody cares and there's just a sense of loneliness in your heart, I want to remind you today that you are loved by the one who matters most. You are loved by God. You are affirmed by God. You are accepted by God. He adores you. He cares for you. He loves you. He loves you so much he left all the glories of heaven and everything that it had to offer so he could come to this earth. He could come to the messiness of this world to rescue your soul, to do for you what you could never do for yourself. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. God came for you. He came, one, for his own glory and for your ultimate good. God came to this world for you. God left the glories of heaven for you. God entered the messiness of humanity for you. God was born in a stable for you. God overcame temptations of this world for you. God God was beaten, God was mocked, God was tortured for you, and ultimately God was crucified for you. He took the punishment and penalty that our sin deserves, and he took all of its consequences upon himself at the cross, and he died for you. He then rose for you, and the Bible says that right now, God is preparing a place in heaven for you for all of eternity. That is how important you are to God. That is how valuable you are to your creator. That is how loved you are. And so when you walk through this life and you feel like nobody cares, and when you're moving through things at work and you're like nobody understands, and when you feel conflict and when you feel pain and when you feel depressed and you feel worried, I want to remind you that this is how valuable your life is to God, that he was willing to leave the glories of heaven to pursue your heart with everything in him. That is what God did for you. I think they're gonna throw this on the screen, but I just thought of the, every religion, every religion has had a teacher who has attempted to show people how to find God. You show me the religion and I'll show you their teacher that is showing people how to find God. But Jesus was the only one who ever said, I am God and I'm coming down to find you. Because no matter how hard you work at trying to get to God, and no matter how hard you work to try to be the best type of person you can be, and the best mom you can be, and the best dad you can be, or the best son you can be, or the best daughter, or the best Christian, every one of us will fail at reaching that level of what God demands. And so Jesus said, I know you've tried, and I know there are teachers who have told you how to get to me but I I'm leaving heaven I'm coming to find you and that's what makes Christianity different we don't have a leader that says well pull yourself up by the bootstraps try your best and maybe you'll attain to this moral standard well I will allow you into my heaven no Christianity is a God who humbled himself to become a man and pursued us when we were running from him. 
when we were running from his standards and we were running from his love and we were running from his grace, there was a God in heaven who said, even though you run from my presence and you run from my will and you run from what is best for your life, I love you so much, I'll leave the glories of heaven and I will pursue your life with every fiber of my being and even if that means going to the cross and dying in your place, so be it. That is how valuable you are to your creator. If you thought for a moment that you were unloved, remind yourself of the cross. If you thought for a moment your life doesn't matter, then remind yourself of what Jesus did for you. So verses five, verses six, seven, and eight, we see the incarnation of Messiah, God becoming man. Let's keep going in our Bible study. Verse nine. The Bible says this, wherefore God highly exalted Jesus and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These verses, verses number 9, 10, and 11, these verses are describing what, what I would call a, a, a coronation of sorts. You say, what in the world is a coronation? Let me give you the definition of a coronation. A, a coronation is the act or occasion of being crowned. It is the ascension to the highest office in the land. So when the word coronation gets used, that's what's being described. So in ancient times, all right, for those of you who are history buffs, in ancient times there would be a ceremony where an individual would be crowned to be king. Uh, this would always be referred to as a coronation ceremony. And, and that's a little bit of what's happening in this passage. You see, the scriptures in Philippians chapter number 2, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is declaring Jesus to be king. And this passage is enthroning Jesus as Lord over all that there is. So when we tend to think about Christmas, for those of us who grew up in church maybe, we can tend to think of Christmas as being all about this little baby who was in a manger where some shepherds came and kind of, you know, observed him. And that's a part of the story of Christmas. But this baby did not come to stay in a manger. Eventually this baby would go from a wooden manger to a wooden cross. He would in our place he would take the punishment of our sins so we wouldn't have to endure it we got to switch places with God and all of God's righteousness gets bestowed upon us while all of the punishment for our sin got rained down on him at the cross of Calvary but that's not the end of the story this baby did not just come to a manger his path was not just to go to a cross but ultimately he would become a king who would sit on the throne over the universe. And that's what this story is about. So in verses number 5, 6, 7, and 8, we saw the incarnation of the Messiah. And now in verses 9, 10, and 11, we are going to see the coronation of the Messiah. This moment when this Jesus, this baby, would be main, named King. Revelation chapter number 17, verse 14, speaks of the lordship of this Jesus. The Bible says, these shall make war with the Lamb. There will be those that will try to buck His authority. There will be those that try to subvert His authority. These shall make war with the Lamb. 
But the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords, and he is King of kings. And they that are with him are called, and are chosen, and are faithful. I want you to let this sink in for a moment. This is this story, this grand, overarching story of Christmas is not just about a baby in a manger. Ultimately, it is about a king that sits on a throne with power and with strength and with might. He is king. I'll throw this on the screen, but when Jesus is called king of kings and lord of lords, it means that in the end, all other rulers will be conquered and he alone will reign supreme as king and lord over all the earth. There is no power, there is no kingdom, and no authority that can oppose him and expect to win. You see, my friends, we don't just worship a baby in a manger. We worship a king that sits on a throne. And this reality that we serve a king should bring so much hope to our lives. The one that we worship is sovereign. He's powerful. He's mighty and he's strong. And whatever it is that your life is facing right now, whatever you're going through, whatever hardship you're facing in your work, and whatever difficulty you have as you're trying to get your business up and going, and if you're here today and you're struggling, maybe you've had a dream that you would one day have a child and, and, and you don't have children and you're sitting here and you're struggling financially and maybe you're having relational conflict in your life and, and you're finding yourself up against things and you just don't know how to deal with it. I'm here to declare to you today that there is a king that sits on a throne that reigns supreme over all the affairs of men and there is nothing that you are going through today that is not father-filtered. You can trust him. Your heart can be at rest. Your soul can be calm, knowing that the King of kings and Lord of lords is working all things together for good. And even as you travel through the dark valleys of this life, and even when it seems like there's this, what you're experiencing in this moment is pointless and purposeless, I want to say to you that there is a God in heaven who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's working all things together for good, and you can trust him. Your heart can be at rest, knowing that ultimately you have a king that is in charge. I want to remind you today that we have a God, a king that reigns over all the enemy. We have a king that reigns over evil. We have a king that reigns over pain and hurts and problems. We have a king that reigns over conflicts and confusions that we experience in life. We have a king that reigns over weakness and and brokenness and sickness and disease. And whatever it is you're facing today, your king is sovereign over it all. And his glory and your good is its ultimate goal. And I know for this moment it might be dark. And I know you're looking at this situation right now and you're wondering what in the world is going on. Here's what I want to say to you. This is not catching God by surprise. God isn't up in heaven as king of kings and lord and lords and been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oops. He's lord. 
he's God and we are not. And sometimes that which seems to be the worst thing happening to us in the moment, God turns and uses the very broken pieces of this moment and puts those broken pieces back together in a way that is more glorious than the original master piece. God is working. And when you feel lonely, and you feel betrayed, and you feel confused, remind yourself that you serve a God who is not just a baby in a manger, but he is a king on a throne who loves you, who cares for you, and has his ultimate best in store for you. See, for me, and I don't know if it is for you, but the reality of this king's reign, it brings so much hope because it reminds me that I serve a king that is bigger and that is stronger and more powerful than anything I might face in my life. And that comforts my soul like very few things in this world. That is the hope of his eternal reign, that our hearts and souls can be at peace. The, the true story is told of a man by the name of Ira Sankey. And, and maybe for many of you, uh, that name doesn't mean anything. But Ira was a songwriter from the 1800s. And so he would write songs. And, and he uh, traveled with a, a famous uh, Christian evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody. So uh, D.L. Moody would have been the 18th century equivalent uh, to an individual like, uh, say, Billy Graham. And maybe some of you have heard the name Billy Graham before. Billy Graham would travel the world. He would preach and just all over the world to huge, huge crowds of people. And so D.L. Moody would do that. He preached all over the country. He preached in other countries. And Ira Sankey was his, his music leader. And so he would travel with D.L. Moody to these large crusades and he would lead in worship. He would lead in music. And so uh, Ira Sankey was kind of like uh, our Hunter Bachman, all right, just to, put, to give you like context, all right. Hunter, maybe you need to think about growing a little beard like that, or I don't know, just, just a thought. Ira uh, Sankey led, led music, and it was, it was Christmas Eve of 1875, and uh, Ira Sankey was traveling on a Delaware River steamboat in order to be with family. He was getting, getting ready to go home for Christmas, and on that evening of Christmas Eve of 1875, he, he walked out onto the dock of the ship and, and the night was cool and crisp and, and the moon was shining, shining brightly on the boat at that time. And as, as he stood there on the boat, he was recognized by some of the other passengers. You see, Ira's picture was often in the newspaper with the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. And, and so some of the passengers gathered around him and, and asked if he'd be willing to sing one of his, his famous hymns that he had written that would often get sung at these crusades around the world. Sankey was a little bit hesitant, and, and he, he said, honestly, folks, I just, I just prefer not to sing as a solo uh, the songs that I've, I've written. It's, I just feel uncomfortable with it, but he says, I've got some songs that I really, really enjoyed. I've enjoyed them my whole life, and he says, I'll sing, I'll sing one, of those, one of those songs, and, and he said, one of my favorite songs is an old hymn called Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. It was one that had been written, and it was one that he had known his whole life, and he, he just loved that song. And so the people agreed, and on the steamboat that night, he began to sing the song, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Uh, one of the stanzas in that song says this, We are thine, O Lord, be the guardian of our way. 
We are thine, O Lord. Be the guardian of our way. He sang the song, and and when he was finished singing, a a man stepped out from the shadows and asked, uh, Mr. Ira, he said, did you ever serve in the Union Army? (laughs) Yes, Mr. uh, Sankey answered. He says, I actually enlisted in in, in 1860. He said, do you happen to remember if if you ever did guard duty uh, during the year uh, 1862? Mr. Sankey kind of was a little bit perplexed. He said, "Uh, yeah, actually, he said, I did it it regularly. And, And now at this point, Uh, Ira was a little bit surprised. He didn't know who this guy was and actually thought it was a little weird that he was so accurately describing, you know, what had happened, you know, some uh, 20 years before. Uh, The man answered, he says, I I, I was also in the military during that time as well, but he said, I actually, uh, he said, I actually served in the the Confederate, the Confederate Army. The man continued to tell his story. He said, uh, he said, I remember it was a, it was a night much like this night. He said, I remember it clearly. The, the moon was bright and, and shining down. He says, I was on patrol. He says, I was hidden in some bushes. He said, in the distance, in the moonlight, he, saw, he said, I saw a man. He said, in that moment, I noticed that he was wearing a, a Union uniform. He said, I, I took up my rifle. He said, I aimed it at this man. He said, I thought to myself, this guy is never going to walk away alive. He says, just as I got ready to cock that rifle and pull that trigger. He says, this man looked up to the heavens under the moonlight and began to sing. He said, this man chose to sing the very song that you sang tonight. He went on to say, he said, I heard the words perfectly that you just described a moment ago. And I remember those 20 plus years ago, that man singing those words, we are thine, O Lord, be the guardian of our way. When I heard you sing just a moment ago, I recognized the voice. It was the voice from that night. And those words you sang that evening many years ago stirred up so many memories in my mind. And and 20 years ago in that moment when I heard you sing those words, Oh, we are thine, O Lord, be the guardian of my way. When I heard that, my mind was brought back to my childhood and and my God-fearing mother who would often sing me that song as as a little child. He said that night in 1862 when you finished singing, my arm literally just went limp. He said, I tried to lift up my hand and take aim again from the bushes. He said, I just, I just couldn't. No matter how hard I tried, I wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. And he said, it was in that moment that I had, I had this thought. That the God who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. The man said it was in that moment that I began searching for what eventually would lead me to faith in Jesus Christ. Whenever Mr. Sankey would tell that story in the Crusades, he always referred to it as his Christmas miracle, the night when Jesus saved his life again. You see, you and I serve a God that reigns over all the affairs of men. 
He reigns over the big aspects of our life, and he reigns over the small aspects of our lives. And nothing is too big, and nothing is too small for our God. So even when everything seems to be out of control, Jesus is always in control. It was Paul Tripp, the the pastor, who said this. The baby in a manger came to be a conquering king in order to dethrone us and then enthrone himself in our hearts forever and ever. I don't know about you, but there is a propensity in my heart and in my soul to want to enthrone myself over God. You ever do this? You want to be in charge? You want to do what you want to do? And the question I would ask us is, why am I and why are we so afraid to just let Christ reign in our lives? What are we scared of? Why are we afraid to just let God be God? You see, we can tend to think, well, this, this is my life, and, and this is my home, and this is my family, and this is my car, and these are my children, and this is my money, and these are my hands, and these are my feet, and these are my eyes, and this is my mouth, and, and we tend to think we can do whatever we want because I am king of my life. But you know what Christmas does? Christmas comes along and reminds us of a baby that was born who would be given the title King of Kings. We're reminded at Christmas time that we are no longer the king of our lives, that there is a greater king, a stronger king, a wiser king, a more benevolent king who loves us and who cares for us and who wants what's best for us. And now he's in charge. Now he's in control. And now he reigns supreme. And now our heart cry can be, Jesus, it's all yours. Jesus, this is your church. Do with it what you want. Jesus, this is your family, these are your children, this is your marriage, these are your relationships, this is your career, this is your money, this is your future. Jesus, it all belongs to you and I trust that you can take this life of mine and do something far greater and far grander than whatever I could do in my own feeble attempts to control whatever this is that I call life. So our takeaway is this, and we'll be done. In that final day, when your heart beats for that last time, and that last breath of air escapes your lungs, and your eyes close for good, and you are standing in the presence of that king of kings and Lord of lords. Here's the question. Will you have bowed your knee in surrender? Or will you bow your head in shame? Our king is worthy of our surrender. Because he's wiser, he's stronger, and more powerful than anything we could be. Can I say this? You can trust him. You can trust him. 
Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.